Well, this morning is a bit, for me, a, a bit different in the sense that I'm going to do a reflection on Luke rather than kind of a big exposition. Um, in particular, a uh, reflection on how love, uh, the reality of love, um, encounters and what we experience when it encounters a, a, a sin-broken world. That is, what we experience when love encounters a sin-broken world. Now, I don't know about you, but the longer I live and the more I experience, the more I realize that there is a sovereign purpose in ignorance. That is to say, um, if we knew ahead of time what we were getting into when we made certain commitments and decisions, we probably, some of us, not all of us, would probably not make those decisions on the front end. It's our ignorance that allows us to make those, those commitments, right? Marriage, for example. Now, there are different degrees of joy in marriage in this room. Some are very happy, and you struggle a little. Others are, are harder and struggle a lot. But, you know, that, that vision when, we, when we're, you know, living on the other side of marriage, looking forward to it, there's, there's almost this sense that when you say, I do, like the hallelujah chorus is going to go off. Like, hallelujah, you know, it's this piece of the, the Handel's Messiah, arguably the best piece of music ever written. And um, they just think it's going to be wonderful. Of course, we're fed on romantic comedies, and I love romantic comedies. And you just think you're going to ride off into the sunset and live happily ever after, into this marital bliss forever and ever and ever. Then you get on the other side, and, and you realize that, 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 that the hallelujah chorus is not still playing. <laughs> and it's more difficult. And, and maybe it's a, a Michael Bolton song or... or Maybe it's a foreigner song. She's as cold as ice. I don't know. Just, <laughs> but that's kind of how it feels. Not always. And again, marriage is a massive gift. But had you known ahead of time the difficulty it is, some people probably would have said, I probably wouldn't have made that choice. Now, I am not one of those people. I'm very thankful for my wife. Um, but every marriage has its difficulties and troubles. And one of the things you discover as those who are married know, you, you discover, if you're um, honestly self-aware enough and humble, you recognize just how sin-broken you are as a person. I am. You get in marriage and you realize, wow, I really am broken, more than I ever thought I was. And then you discover that the person you married that you thought was perfect is broken too. So there's two broken people, and if you want to know how to, well, how to love, well then put two broken people together and they discover both how, how ugly they are and at the same time how, how, how much strength they need to love each other. That, that's one idea of, I'm kind of thankful I was ignorant. Kids are another one. You know, and like it or not, people still believe that, yeah, you know, having a baby is going to be like going to Disneyland. You get on the ride and it's going to be awesome. And, and it is, there is a sense of hallelujah chorus that goes on after the birth process. And when the baby comes, you're holding the baby in your arms. You're just like, you hear it, hallelujah. It's wonderful, awesome. Then that child starts to grow up. And you realize, wow, now in my marriage and now with kids, not only am I a sin-broken person, and not only is my wife a sin-broken person, we have given birth to sin-broken kids. Now we're a sin-broken family. And you just realize this is more difficult than I thought. And I don't care what it is that, that, that we have 
the pie in the sky, uh, naive, ignorant view of it's always less than we expect. You dream of that perfect career that you're going to find and you're going to feel like that person on CSI who's like smart, adventurous, surrounded by model-esque people, always something new to do. You realize you get there at whatever your career is, and you end up doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Pretty soon what you thought was adventurous is nothing more than just mundane monotony. (laughs) No more hallelujah chorus. Right. That's, that's life in a broken world. And in order for people to remain and grow and reflect the image of God means you have to learn to love in the middle of that brokenness, and that's hard. And I was thinking about the first two chapters of Luke, and I realized there's, there's a sense in which chapter 1, chapter 2, up to verse 33, you can almost hear the hallelujah chorus singing. Here's the, the Virgin Mary gets, gets these amazing revelations. I mean, she has someone personally come from heaven and tell her, listen, you're going to have a child. And listen to, 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 to what's said about this coming child. You can't tell me that you wouldn't have a sense of hallelujah chorus going on. It's like, you're going to have a son and he's going to be called the son of the most high. He's going to be called the son of God and he's going to inherit He's going to be given the throne of his father, David, and he's going to reign forever. That's like, oh, that's awesome. And she receives this revelation. All positive, triumphant. You can hear John Williams playing in the background, rich, deep, triumphant music. Awesome. Then, of course, Mary hears about the reports of, of what people not too far away are experiencing in terms of the shepherds. There's a, a, an angel shows up, light shines, and the shepherds hear another amazing declaration. Today, in the city of David, is born to you a Savior who's the Messiah, the Lord, Christ the Lord. Another amazing moment. And then all of a sudden, a whole chorus of angels show up, and they all start singing glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Put all that together. That's the first chapter and a half of Luke. Son of the Most High, Son of God. He will inherit the throne of your father David. He'll reign forever and ever. Today is born for you a Savior in the, in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. That's awesome. Mary must have just been going, this is, uh, is this the, the, like the, the great turnaround? No more death. No more sin. Earth and heaven uh, together again. Is this... Hallelujah chorus moment. And then this man comes into her life by the name of Simeon. And Simeon, the first part of what he says is a hallelujah chorus moment. But then a minor chord strikes. Luke introduces us to this man who who plays a unique and joyful role in the history of the Bible. In verse 25, be on the screen behind me, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Here's a, here's a guy who knew the Old Testament promises, and he couldn't wait to see hope realized. 
His heart burned for it. He was waiting. Now, that is a perfect example of the advent of hope, of expectation. A man who was waiting, waiting for the consolation, the comfort, the salvation of, of Israel. And he knew he was going to see it because verse 26 goes on and says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Now, at this point, like there's thousands of people that would have gathered in Jerusalem and in the temple area. And the idea is the Spirit of God brought Simeon and brought the parents of Jesus sovereignly, providentially together. That's what God does, you know, are no accidents. Because he promised this man he was going to see the Messiah. And he knew at that moment. In verse 28, I can imagine the hope realized. Like, he got to see the Redeemer of the world, the Messiah, the Son of David, um, God in human flesh. He took him up in his arms and blessed God. He's worshipped and said, Lord, now you're letting me or letting your servant depart in peace. In other words, now I can die in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for, uh, for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother, that is Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about him. <laughs> he just bursts into worship. And I, the idea is, if you notice in your translation is probably set off like poetry which it is poetry which means it's prophetic at least that's how the poet poetry works in the gospel of luke he's prophesying this is what this the, the, this your child's going to do and there's another hallelujah chorus moment uh, three of the most important words in the bible are connected to this child salvation my eyes have seen your salvation he's holding the kid up my eyes have seen your salvation he is a light for revelation, another important word in the Bible, a revelation of who God is and for glory. Salvation, revelation, and glory, three of the most important words in the Bible. This child that, he, that Mary was holding in her hands and, and Simeon had taken and blessed the Lord for was, uh, was someone who is the source of and means of salvation. He is the source of and means of God revealing his heart and his love for us. He is the source and the means of God glorifying himself. Again, this is like another hallelujah. But when love enters a sin-broken world, it suffers. Because beginning in verse 34, for the first time in the Gospel of Luke, there is this minor chord. You know, da, na, 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 Like something ominous and partially sad is going to happen. And it says in verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. And looking at Mary... I think he directed this at Mary because Joseph wouldn't live long enough to see Jesus die. 
And a sword, speaking to his mother, will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Wow. All of a sudden, the Hallelujah Chorus sounds a little bit more ominous, foreboding, almost like a requiem or a dirge. He says that your son is going to be one who is the cause of the rising and the falling of many in Israel. One thing we come to know of Jesus in the New Testament is that there is no middle ground in terms of relating to him. The people in the New Testament, and I would dare say people today, if they know him as he's portrayed in the New Testament, you either love him or you hate him. You're offended by him or you are overjoyed by him. You either embrace him or reject him. I mean, he made absolute claims to authority. He said, using the Lord's name, Yahweh, before Abraham was Yahweh, I am. He said, all authority has been granted to me in heaven and earth. In other words, every earthly power bows to me. That is an absolute statement of authority. That ticks people off. His teaching. In his teaching, he was exclusive about his supremacy and about himself as the only way of salvation. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. That still ticks people off to hear people say that, hear him say that. But that's what he said. That there is no name under heaven by which a man may be saved other than the name of Jesus because he is the only Savior. He is arguably the most controversial figure, not just in his day, but in all of human history. As he is portrayed in his own teaching and in the New Testament, there is no middle ground. You either love him or you hate him. And that's exactly how it played out in his life. It would seem, just from a, a casual reading of the Gospels, that more hated him than loved him. Which is why, at the end of his life, he was butchered. He would cause the rising of some who would embrace him as Savior, King, Messiah, and they would experience life. Others would be offended. Offended by his teaching, offended by his claims, and they would kill him. That's the, that's the end of, 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 of his life. And you, you know that. But the idea being that son of God, son of the most high, the peace he came to bring, all required him to die. And Mary, who you get the sense when the angel came to her that she said, I'll do it. Probably a little bit ignorant as to what she was signing up for. But she, in faith in the Lord, she said, I, I, I will do as you asked. And playing out her part in redemption story, that is playing her part in what God asked her to do in bringing salvation to the world through her own son, experienced a sword go through her own soul. That is, she would be devastated. 
she had to see what no mother should see. Her firstborn son, the one she gave birth to, the one she raised, the one she taught to read and to write, the one she cared for, she had to stand there and watch her firstborn son butchered, humiliated in public. She had to hear the slander. She had to hear the false accusations that he has a demon inside of him. She had to watch him gasp for breath. She had to watch him take his last breath and participate in laying her firstborn son's body in the grave. She's devastated. She's devastated. You know, when God calls us to, to follow Christ, when God calls us to play our part in redemption story, this is my story, which we just sang, it's not without pain and suffering. Because when love meets sinful brokenness, there's always, there's always pain involved, as Mary discovered, and of course, as Jesus in his dying made perfectly clear. In order to love people as Jesus loved us, truthfully, sacrificially, mercifully, and enduringly, when we love people as he loved us in those ways, he was a truth teller, he told the truth. He didn't tell us what we wanted to hear, he told us what we needed to hear. He loved us mercifully, that is, forgave our sins. He loved us enduringly, namely, he was never going to let us go. And he loved us sacrificially by giving up his life. When we love others as Christ first loved us in that way, you will unavoidably experience suffering. And that's, that's the simple point this morning that I want to make, is that, you know, when divine love came down to save us, to reveal the heart of the Father, that love suffered. And in like manner, when we join in the way of the cross, in the way of Jesus, when we love people as he first loved us, including some of your in-laws who are going to sit around the table this week, you will experience a level of suffering. You will experience a level of suffering. And to recognize that that's, that's part of the course. And it's part of what displays the love of God through your life to other people. It's one thing to love people when they're likable. It's one thing to love people when it's easy, when it doesn't cost you anything. But there's no display of power in that kind of love. But when it's tough, and when someone is grumpy and angry, and someone causes offense in your own heart and everything in you wants to just say, oh, I just want to be away from that person. I hate that person. That's when the love of Christ has the potential of being seen the most. It's like, hey, <laughs> I am going to continue loving you mercifully, enduringly, sacrificially, and truthfully. Then the love of Christ is displayed in, in our hearts in the middle of what is a painful situation. That's love encountering a sin-broken world. That's love being worked out in a sin-broken marriage. That's love being worked out in a sin-broken parenting relationship. That's love being worked out in a sin-broken church. 
is loving others the way God loved us and his love suffered. So my simple challenge to us this morning is this. This is a week of opportunity. And, and this should go far beyond this week. It's just recognize the opportunities we have. I'm going to see people today in my hometown at our Christmas little gala that I don't like very much. That's just an honest statement. But I know that the Jesus who loved me enough to suffer for me has called me to love them in the same way. And I offer that to all of us in here. We're going to go into rooms and open presents and be around people we don't necessarily want to be around. And remember, when we love like Jesus loved, there's a suffering involved. But there's power in it too. Because look what his suffering did. It brought us salvation. And I think when we love and are willing to push through that in a way that's truthful and enduring and sacrificial and merciful, that love of Christ is communicated to those around us. And that's what we want to be, a light to the world. And I want to leave this on a positive note, though, because this kind of is a, maybe a bit wintry. You know, I also reflected on the fact that Mary, who on Friday watched her son butchered and felt the devastation of her heart, is the same mother who saw him risen again, showing us the pattern that's maintained all through the Bible of there's a suffering but then there's a joy after. That there is pain, but there is a resurrection. So anything we do in this life in the name of Jesus and loving another person, we have to know at some point we are going to hear the hallelujah chorus. No minor tones anymore. Nothing but, and he shall reign forever and ever that makes it worth it. As we gather around this table, which is a sign of his and symbol of his suffering love, one, receive it. Every one of us in here are still sin-broken. Need to be reminded that it's been paid in full. That's what this table's for. It's preaching us the gospel. Bread and cup, his body and his blood, given for us as a sacrifice, as a substitute. But then also, let it be a reminder of this is also how then we are to relate to those around us, both inside the Christian family and outside the Christian family. And make this a moment where we can commune with the Lord through the cross and through these, these elements. I'm going to pray for the bread and the cup. And as I do, if I could have, we only have two servers this time, um, because we have the Advent candle in the middle, um, left, right. Um, after I pray, in, the servers come forward. Um, there's going to be some worship music. I invite you to just come up if you're a follower of Christ and take it. You can take it back to your seat. You can take it with your family. You can take it on the steps if you'd like. Um, but this is a time of communion. There is gluten-free bread at both of these. It looks like a piece of French bread. Um, it's not the pita loaf. So if you have gluten issues, just ask for it, and the servers would be happy to um, assist you. As well... There will be, as last week and the week before, there will be people over in both corners if you want to be prayed for for any reason. Um, this is a kind of a time where everybody's moving around anyway, so it's, it's, it's not awkward. Um, then we'd love to pray for you, all right? And uh, see God graciously work in your life. Father in heaven, we're grateful for your kindness and your love. We're thankful that you have a forgiving love. We're thankful that you went the distance, that you came all the way down, all the way down into the grave 
and not for worthy people. You came for sinful people. And Lord, we want to believe this morning that we stand as brothers and sisters who, who have faith in Jesus, who tr have come to trust him and embrace him. We want to believe, Lord, that we are righteous in your eyes, not because of any good that we've done, but because he paid it in full and has given to us his perfection. Allow us to live in the freedom of that and the wonder of that and the truth of that. Meet with us through the bread and the cup. Remind us of the costliness and yet the completeness of your forgiveness and love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.